She's absolutely brilliant at puzzles. She can do thousand piece puzzles better than anybody else can. She sees things by the connection of the pieces and the colors. So she wouldn't, like most adults, say, oh, let's start around the edge and then we'll do the bit in the middle. <laughs> she starts with a symbol or a color. She's got amazing eyesight for detail. Welcome to Wisdom Shared, where parents are the experts and connections inspire change. My name is Carol Blueweiss, and today on my ninth episode, I interview Simon Radcliffe, who I met at a Seth Godin podcasting workshop. In his podcast, Turning the Tables, Simon interviews people who have overcome diversity, something Simon is familiar with himself because of his experience suffering with chronic fatigue syndrome and eventually recovering from this little understood chronic illness, which had a huge effect on how he approached his life going forward. People talk about the gift of adversity, and I think that was because it, it changed my outlook on life. I had the privilege of talking to Simon about his life as a successful businessman and as the father of Francesca, now 20 years old, who was diagnosed at age three with Dravet syndrome, also known as severe myoclonic epilepsy of infancy. Simon generously shares his experience as Francesca's dad, and he describes how Francesca has taught him how important it is to get to know the special needs kids who are on the bus, so to speak. Over a period of time, I just got to know those kids, being able to engage, getting to know their names. It, it completely changed my whole outlook. And I realised that, that that transition is what everybody needs to go through. That's seeing individuals, not labels. Simon describes Francesca's special role in his recovery while he was sick. He takes us on a journey of his own self-awareness both of his own inner workings that may have contributed to his illness and his new outlook, and also to the awareness of Francesca's unique qualities, the importance of getting to know each child for who they are as people first. I started Wisdom Shared to provide a forum for parents to share their reality, their wisdom with others as experts on the front lines. Simon's story exemplifies the importance of putting on the oxygen on oneself first before helping other children as the airline attendants recommend before taking off on an airplane. Simon is a living example of why this is important. Simon also speaks about inclusion and diversity in education and in the workforce when it comes to people with special needs. I ran into some adversity myself when putting together this episode as I lost the original recording and had to rely on the backup audio. You may notice that my voice is not well recorded. While Simon's recording was a saving grace, which is why I look at today's episode through rose-colored spectacles, a reference that Simon uses in this interview, which reflects seeing the positive, the wisdom, and the beauty amidst the messy reality. This story was meant to be told. Today, I have Simon Radcliffe on my podcast. He is an entrepreneur, a podcaster himself, a photographer, a videographer, a husband and father of three. Hi, Simon. Hi, Carol. Good to be here. Welcome to Wisdom Shared. Thank you for inviting me. Tell us a little bit about Francesca. What was her birth like? What is she experiencing now? Francesca was a completely normal birth. She was our third, so nothing seemed out of the ordinary. But what happened after, I think it was Christmas when she was six months old, 
we were sitting preparing Christmas, you know, preparation for Christmas the next day. And she was in her cot on the on the kitchen floor, you know, one of those bouncers that you get that put the kids in. And we suddenly looked around and she was fitting, quite violently fitting. Having a seizure. And having a seizure, yeah. Yeah, having a seizure. It's it's one of those moments, obviously you were terrified. I mean, and 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 so terrified that we didn't even ring the ambulance, which is what you kind of would think you normally do. We just put her in the car and drove her to the hospital. Literally, fortunately, it was only about 15 minutes away. So, but we didn't think to do anything. Literally just, you know, you think your child is dying, basically. So, you, you know, you think, I can't be sitting waiting here for an ambulance. So, so we just drove her to the hospital. She had uh, the seizure for two and a half hours. And eventually came round. Obviously, they gave her various medications to help her come round. At that point, you know, there is something called febrile convulsions and completely abnormal for a child to have a seizure when they're younger. So we were unsure and the medical people were unsure about what, you know, what what was this? So we were discharged, but then she she carried on having those seizures at regular points and obviously then they had more tests and blah 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 and eventually she got diagnosed with this condition called Dravet's syndrome which was um, discovered by a French physician called Charlotte Dravet and it's uh, you know a relatively rare epileptic condition with associated developmental delay significant developmental delay and so over the ensuing years, they worked with different types of medications to try and control the seizures, not with a great deal of success in the beginning. You know, she would sometimes fit it two or three times a day. It was very intermittent. But latterly, they got control of it and her seizures were much less frequent, which enabled you to start to normalise life to some degree. However, it was clear that a developmental delay would mean that she would need, you know, special school and special help. How old was she when she was diagnosed with that? Finally diagnosed. I think she was about three by that time. Three. Or so you went through a lot of years just not know, understanding what was going on? Well, yes, yeah, sort of suspecting, but not finally knowing. And I'm just curious, was the developmental delay in this kind of syndrome due to the seizures or would someone have that anyway well yeah that's a good question um they find it difficult to distinguish between the two things but they believe there is a, a genetic element of it if you see what i mean so it's part of the condition although obviously if you have a long seizure at a young age that does affect the development of the brain because it starves the brain of oxygen at a time when it's you know, evolving. So, tell us about Francesca. What is she like as a person? She's now twenty. She still is a child in many, well, in in, in all regards, cognitively, but she is a very engaging, very happy catalyst, really, for other people. She will change the nature of a conversation. She will change the nature of a room. She will shine a light. It's just a a, a tremendous gift she's got. Quite unlike anyone I've ever met before, really. She has a way with people, which is very open, very loving, very good-natured, which brings out the best in anyone. 
And it doesn't matter whether you're the man delivering the curry on a Friday evening or whether you're a close relative or, or whether you're a man or a woman that she's met in the street. She treats pretty much people the same. If you show an openness to her, she, well, she actually shows the openness first. And generally speaking, what that does is condition the response. It's, it's a fascinating psychological study, actually. Yeah, she has a transforming effect. And what are some of the things she likes to do? Um, she's absolutely brilliant at puzzles. So she can do thousand piece puzzles better than anybody else can. She sees things by the connection of the pieces and the colors. So she wouldn't, like most adults, say, oh, let's start round the edge and then we'll do the bit in the middle. <laughs> she starts with a symbol or a color or something or pieces, which she, she's got amazing eyesight for detail so she loves doing that she loves all creative things she loves painting drawing she loves singing she loves drama she loves all those kind of things she loves sports you know playing it to the level that she's able to how do you see labeling francesca a special needs child labels do they fit into your your outlook on how you you see it as a dad I think it's a, it's a diff, whole difficult territory, isn't it? Um, special needs. I, I, I'm not too bothered by the term special needs. To me, it's much more about people understanding what that means in the sense of diversity and understanding that anybody within that category may have multiple different needs. The one thing I really feel sure about is that the way we teach individuals with that, certainly children with that condition, is still quite limited. I see a lot of kids with these conditions have a lot of potential, but because of the resources needed to bring that out in a child, you know, that they end up settling for good average. So the education is more geared around helping their independence, yeah, which is which is fine. But a lot of children like Francesca will not be to live an independent life. So that is a limited horizon for them. So what would be an alternative in your mind? I think an, an alternative would be a system which looked at the individual and structured their education around and their development around those particular needs. Now, it's easy for me to say because inevitably with that comes a cost because it means more resources and more people and more expertise. But I think that with the develop, particularly with the development of technology and greater understanding of the science of how the brain works and all those things, it feels to me like in the future there are the resources available to revolutionise the way we help special needs people develop. But it requires a lot of commitment and a lot of expertise, and it, and it requires people with special needs to be categorised as important as any other diverse group. And the idea of diversity, I think, is, is, is really interesting. You know, you have the diagnosis, and then it's as if everyone has certain traits because of a diagnosis, as opposed to, well, let's pretend there was no, no diagnosis and you have a child. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that needs to happen. 
because I think most of the development work inevitably in this area is always done by charities, special interest groups, rather than than at a governmental policy level. What kind of schooling did she have? She started off, which was the basic, what happens in British schooling is that in the first instance, she went to a, a mainstream primary school. She was what they called statemented, which meant that she was then able to have one-to-one support. But of course, it becomes very apparent very early on that they are behind their peers and therefore you have a slightly ridiculous situation where she will be being taught on her own in the corner of a classroom while the others are doing something entirely different. And they, you know, bless them, they do try very hard. So the people who we've had to engage with as a result of Francesca, I would have the highest regard for. They're people who are caring, committed people but sadly lacking the level of expertise and the backing that they need to transform sort of education and, and care of the of this diverse group. What are some of the titles of those professionals that you speak of? Speech and language is probably the, the most obvious specialism that schools will engage. Did she need rehab specialists like occupational therapy? Occupational therapy, that was it. She's accessing that more now because obviously now is, in theory, a transition period to her operating in a more adult world and, in theory, doing some kind of work. But in terms of her needs for physical needs or attention or writing or even walking and running, was that ever addressed? Yes, to a degree. She had um, physical therapy, but it was on very on very ad hoc basis. Again, resources not there to deliver at the level. I mean, fortunately, she doesn't really have any significant physical disabilities. Um, she's a little bit unsteady on her feet, but equally, she, she's she got a remarkable ability, a hand-to-eye coordination. So, you know, for someone so slight, she's able to hit a ball quite a long way and, you know, kick a football and all those kind of things. So sort of curious combination of things. But And she does actually now have have someone who comes to see her weekly to give her that, you know, to help her motor skills. But it's on an ad hoc, ad hoc basis. It's not, it, we've not really got systems in place to make all that easily accessible for people. What is her relationship with her siblings? Very good. Um, you know, obviously they they love her and care for her very much. She's still capable of having an argument with them and <laughs> they're capable of having an argument with her, which is nice because that means she's a normal, <laughs> normal part of the family. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and and I think you know the the unspoken side of it, of course, is that it will undoubtedly have affected their lives because when they were younger, you know, their mother's attention was directed entirely towards Francesca for obvious reasons because it seemed like she was on the verge of, you know death all the time so um as you can imagine that that was something that required 24 hour 24 7 attention so um you know yeah the the other two obviously had to take something of a back seat which have been difficult for them and ha- have you talked about that has that been addressed in some kind of formal way yeah we have from time to time yeah, but I'm not sure that whether they will truly understand the impact of that until later in life. They've been fantastic with her, and obviously, you know, that they will have experienced the trauma of seizures firsthand, 
sometimes they were in the in the position of having to deal with that and the aftermath of that and trips in the ambulance if that was necessary and stuff like that so they've been through the whole experience as well um, have you seen any hints of the idea of post-traumatic stress from from this kind of situation that's an interesting question i'm not sure i have but it doesn't mean to say it's not there well, I think that's also something that I have heard about in the sense that when parents are dealing with traumatic births, which was not your case, however, later in life, there were some things that were traumatic to you. Everybody's so focused on the child and a little bit of what gets left behind in most cultures is the impact on the parents. And even though the child is going to be fine, there was still that trauma. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and the statistics uh, uh, make grim reading of of what happens to families with special needs children. I mean, the divorce rate's very high and lots and lots of problems. I mean, we've managed to be fairly resilient as a family, and so thankfully that hasn't happened to us, but it's not easy, put it that way. Do you have any advice for moms and dads out there that are struggling? Uh, I think I think awareness is the most important thing, to recognise that the circumstances are playing a very large part in whatever pressures and stresses that you have. Now, you kind of think, yes, I, I know that, but actually to understand that, you know, your behaviour will be, and your partner's behaviour will be affected by that. And you have to take that into account. Manage your expectations of yourself and of your partner. Uh, what do you mean by that? recognize that the situation you are in if you have a child with special needs puts much greater pressure on you and therefore if you understand that you can perhaps understand behavior which may otherwise not be understandable can you describe from your point of view your experience what what that pressure is i think you've got to bear in mind that looking after a child with special needs, which generally speaking means more of your time, more of your effort, more of your energy, more resources, adds another layer on top of what already is a complex situation. If you're aware of that, you are more prepared to understand. Are you saying that the pressure is those the extra attention that you have to have, the extra resources, all that increases whatever normal, natural pressures we have yes 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 exactly and and you know it's the same it, it you know it challenges the way you are as a person the way you think you you are the way you think other people should be there's multiple pressures that are, are brought to bear would you put the word stress in there oh absolutely yes absolutely Although I think with my new hat on, <laughs> I would say that stress is is basically uh, it's a concept of the mind, isn't it? It's how you view things. There is no such thing as stress. There is only how you view a situation, how you perceive things. You ask a question in your introduction. Do we flounder or do we fly? Yes, I, I was definitely floundering <laughs> at the time. I'm sure some people have seen the series Mad Men. It was a fair degree of similarity in my career in advertising. I mean, basically, people used to work incredibly hard. It was a fast environment to work in. 
and it put lots of pressure on from an early age. And I actually thrived in it. I mean, I really enjoyed it. And in, in the end, I spent nearly 30 years in advertising. And I guess that was where sort of, I guess, the genes of, of ultimately the illness I got, which was chronic fatigue syndrome, actually started. I remember going to work one day in London. We travel on the underground. and I was going down the escalator and it was a winter's evening. And I thought to myself, you know, I just can't keep going on like this. Something is going to snap. And it was just a momentary thought before I sort of hurried on. And I remember seeing the people coming up the other side of the escalators, all looking incredibly strained and grey. And it, it, it was interesting looking back on it. It was like a moment. Nothing happened for another nine months until I eventually got hit with what I thought was a virus. And I went to the doctor. And to cut a long story short, this carried on. I started to feel worse and worse and worse. But I didn't apparently have anything wrong with me until ultimately I was just, I wasn't even able to get into work. I was struggling to make it through a day. Is this before you were married? No, this is after I was married and, and well, I had all three kids. This is me in my 50s. Yeah. So that, of course, like everybody's normal life was going on in the back. I had the most almighty crash. I literally could not get out of bed. A trip to the bathroom was the the most I could imagine you could do in a day. And I was literally lying there for like nine months, unable to converse with people properly, feeling like I was pretty worthless to the family, couldn't work, couldn't couldn't speak to anyone, couldn't really watch television. And um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty awful. And I, and I got depression, not surprisingly, as a result of all that. In the limited amount of reading I could do during a day, which was about five or 10 minutes, I found this person in Australia who had the condition, had it for seven years and recovered. And he'd done that by actually setting himself the task as an engineer of understanding what was going on. And he put together a very coherent thesis for why people got the condition. And out of that, he developed a recovery program. And over the course of the next two years, gradually I got better. Lots of troughs on the way because it isn't a straight line curve to recovery from this condition. But ultimately, I have recovered and I've got my life back. People talk about the gift of adversity. And I think that was because it, it changed my outlook on life, my thinking, my perspectives and a whole lot of other things, which frankly probably wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been through that situation. And it's particularly relevant right now to hear your story because, of course, every person and every virus and every sickness is different. But being that we're in the middle of COVID right now, there are many people, I'm sure, experiencing very different symptoms and not anyone has the, the answer. And just to hear your story is very inspiring. Yeah, I, I wouldn't pretend it's easy. I wouldn't pretend I'm anything out of the ordinary, except the one thing I would say is that I determinedly stuck to the program. And I think for a lot of people with, with chronic conditions, they try things and when they don't say, see success, they change or they give up. They believe it's not working. And my experience is that to get through a chronic illness, you have to completely reframe what the idea of recovery is. You have to recognise it is a long process. And of course, if you're someone in a job trying to look after a family, whatever it might be, that is incredibly difficult. 
incredibly difficult because you put huge pressure on yourself to recover. And what was the most helpful thing to you while you were going through that? Um, I think the key component of it was what you might call sort of brain training, if you like, reframing your thought patterns. So it sounds like what you discovered in part was that how you think actually affected how you felt physically. Completely, completely. It's not a (laughs) one night, you know, suddenly you wake up and think differently. It takes a long time for your brain to recondition itself or retrain itself around positive thoughts. How did it affect your family? Uh, It was tough because I think one one of the things, because of the lack of clarity about this condition, there is always that thought somehow or other, ironically, people think, oh, it's just in your mind, you know, it's not a real thing. Snap out of it. It it almost reminds me of how mental illness in general, as probably you have a a big insight into that, which was part of what you had, but not 100% of what you had, which doesn't really matter. But the idea that there's this invisible thing going on in somebody and it's hard for the outside world to understand. I wonder what, what helped you the most so that people who are have a family member or experiencing this can know what to what to ask for in terms of from friends or family you've got to utterly trust the other person what they say is how they feel it's not a made up concept in their head because when you have people around you who don't believe you it undermines your own ability to cover because the self-doubt goes on is it that i'm a weak person is it that i just you know i can't do it and other people can and is it something about me and all that self-doubt comes in so but it's hard very hard and then on top of raising your three children and having a relationship with your wife how old were your children at the time um you know my children all well late teen beginning early 20s my youngest Francesca, who is my daughter with special needs. It's interesting because of all the people in the family who treated me the most normal, it was her because she didn't have the conceptual understanding of what was going on for me other than daddy's in bed all the time. <laughs> so that was really interesting. And I mean, obviously all the family helped with recovery, but but she had a very special part of that. Have you run into people that made you sad to do with how they see Francesca, their reactions or any kind of judgments by other people? Or has that not really happened with you? I think she has something unique, which means that doesn't tend to happen. I think we're very lucky in that regard because, I mean, yes, people might look afar and think, well, why is she behaving strangely or she looks like she's younger than she should be or you know i mean you could you could make those observations from afar but but that's not really an interaction that's whatever people were thinking but i think that in terms of any interaction she has with anybody i've always found people very engaged by her i think that's probably something about her something about her character Mm-hmm. Would you say that she's that she basically requires twenty four seven care? Is that is that right? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Because obviously at night you have to be careful because if she had a seizure, and obviously because of her cognitive level, then most of the time she needs to be taken care of or watched at least the rest of the time. 
And how, how do you manage that? Do you have someone helping you or is it just... Pretty much, yeah, because obviously at night you have to be careful because if she had a seizure and obviously because of her cognitive level, then most of the time she needs to be taken care of or watched at least the rest of the time. And how, how do you manage that? Do you have someone helping you? Or is we just... have been lucky enough to have someone, a nanny, that helps us. Well, they've obviously been lots of them over the years, which helps, you know, enable us to carry on working and things like that. And is that something that's provided by your government, or your insurance, or is that private? Private. And, you know, we're very fortunate to be able to do that. And in, in England, do they have early intervention and or they might call it something else? Yes. I mean, they have a lot of facilities they aren't necessarily the ones that you would choose if you had the choice mm-hmm. if you see what i mean yeah and they are limited we've gone our own way i, th- I think to some degree and this it's an interesting point really is that within whilst not denying in any way her special needs we've tried to keep our lives as normal as possible there is such a thing as normal yeah so to avoid labelling and, and, you know, creating a sort of whole edifice around around special needs, it's like any diversity, it's part of life, you know, it just happens that Francesca has a specific set of needs, she requires more help than most people will, she won't leave a, lead the normal life that we all conceive of, you know, you go and work and you get married and you have a family and settle down and buy a house and all that kind of stuff. That won't be her life pattern, but there are many other things that positive things in, in place that make sense. Makes total sense. I mean, what's one one interesting thing about perception, this is slightly going back a bit, but um, I remember when she went to secondary school, the school that paid for by the local authority provide a bus special bus to take children to wherever they are at school or college and Francesca has always absolutely loved the bus she absolutely adores getting on the bus going you know she's and she loves going to college or Mm. or, college now but school when it was absolutely loves it Mm. I think she loves the one-to-one attention Mm. she just loves engaging with people so it's all fantastic for her one of the things you worry about as a parent is putting her on a bus with lots of other people with special needs. Mm. Before you knew, when she was about eight, nine, ten, there was that sort of fear about, oh, will she be okay? And you know, and you have visions of certain types of children and th- and worry. Basically, it all feels a bit alien. And I remember we felt exactly like that about her going on the bus. Mm. Sort of anxiety, really, mm. and. I think really interesting because over a very over a short period of time, but a period of time, every day that bus arriving, Francesca getting on and starting to be able to engage with the kids completely changed my whole outlook on special needs. So, for example, you'd have a child at the back of the bus who would press their lips to the to the window. Right. And. You kind of think that's a bit scary in a funny kind of way. When you don't understand, you think that's scary. Another child that would rock in their seat Mm. and somehow or other it felt very uncomfortable. Mm. I'm not saying this is the right feeling, but this is how you felt. But over a period of time, I just got to know those kids. Mm. And it became a really really good experience, just sort of being able to engage, getting to know their names. Mm. You know, one of them, one of them used to call me dad for some bizarre reason. 
um, because my daughter would say dad, mm. and so he would repeat dad, and that was a bit of a joke and stuff like that. So it, it completely changed my whole outlook mm. on. And I realised that, that that transition is what everybody needs to go through, mm. that seeing individuals, not labels. So I think, well, the majority of people are probably in the camp I was in before I had that experience. Which was what? Which was anxiety, lack of understanding, sort of slight fear about abnormality. I think that's definitely changing. And, and things like the Paralympic Games and the rest of it have helped that, I think, mm. um, particularly in relation to physical difficulties. But, of course, there's also mental difficulties as well. There's, there's children that, that shout, that can't relate to people very easily, that, you know, there, there are so many different aspects of special needs um, that, um, that, that people still need to be able to understand so that they can be part of society in a positive way. I'm just curious, have you ever thought about your chronic illness in any way as a response at all to the stressors that you had being a dad of a child with special needs? And I know for a fact that people that get the condition is that it's what they describe as it's like a boat sinking, too much weight on top of it eventually. You add one more thing and the boat starts to sink. And I think that's absolutely true. So I wouldn't say it was the reason, but on top of, you know, the the usual set of stresses and strains and pressures that people have. Achiever mindset, I think that's another stress. You know, I would be the first to admit that was I was someone who wanted to achieve a lot, pushed myself, didn't listen to my body. I think the outcome of that control was in the end the chronic fatigue and I think it took the chronic fatigue to enable me to completely re reboot my mental state my life my priorities my thinking it's like a perfect storm so all those things come together and suddenly the body says and then the mental stresses that we're not necessarily aware of, right? Because they're going on in the Absolutely. unconscious. Yeah. 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 And there's no doubt that, you know, obviously having a child with special needs was part of that cocktail. So I don't think it was the reason it's own, but it was, you know, that it, there's no doubt in my mind it was the body saying you have to change the way you exist. And if you don't, then we're not going to let you go back to normal. <laughs> Very powerful. powerful. Certain scenarios apply a certain extra level of stress because of, go back to this word, expectation. Our gender expectations are becoming challenged by the day. But people of my generation grew up with parents where the father was the breadwinner that looked after things, that kept people safe, all those kind of, you know, rather obvious cliches of masculinity and so i think when things aren't quite as they should be that puts an extra pressure on you because there's a feeling of responsibility there and also i think change in expectations quite rightly of of women in the world add another dimension to that because it's changing from the roles that ones might have been brought up in with one's mother's role and 
And therefore, I think that does produce a sort of cocktail of, of implications for men and women that we haven't had to deal with before. Sort of challenges a lot of precepts. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're living in times when there are many more pressures than perhaps there were. Did you see a therapist at that time? Uh, yes, I did, yeah. Some help in an overall process of, of understanding better my own psychology and, you know, the, the, the way the mind works and the way to live your life. As I said, I talked about mindfulness. I think that's quite important. You can frame things one, one way, which says, OK, we have a daughter with special needs. Um, she will never be able to live an independent life. Her medical condition means she's always at risk of awful happening and so on and so on. Or you can look at it and say, we all learn from our, our children. We've been given a gift of someone who has had an amazingly positive effect on us as a family, who has loads of talent, who who basically changes the, you know, the nature of relationships with other people, blah, 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 blah. So that's all that is, is describing the same set of situation, but in a different way. Now, perhaps you'd say, though, that's rose-tinted spectacles, but why not? Why don't we live life on rose-tinted spectacles? Well, why? why is it a good idea to be painfully realistic about everything, and thinking of all the, you know, the downsides of everything and all the negatives? Doesn't change them. Doesn't make you do anything different. Because these are things that are in people's heads. So there's no difference in, in what you actually do in the end as a result of, of that negative perspective. It doesn't change anything other than how you feel. What would you like to see change for people who have challenges or disabilities like Francesca? The big issue for me is when someone like Francesca transitions into work, or in theory, being of a working age, what happens there? And I think that's where the wheels come off, basically, as far as national governmental support is. I'm not saying there isn't anything, but it's very hard. Businesses are not generally set up for people with these kind of sets of complex needs. There are charitable organisations. There are some schemes which local authorities run but it is not in no sense is it a is it a well oiled machine for helping pe move people who with special needs or enable people with special needs to work um and i i you know my vision this is a bit a bit like dream time is that to create a brand that's as attractive to people as you know, Virgin or Costa Coffee or in any great brand you can think of that employs people, a large portion of people, or a significant proportion of people with disability. But it's based on, on whatever product or service that is. People buy that because it's an aspirational product, not because of sympathy or because it's a charity or because, because most of the businesses, in all honesty, that that people are involved in are, are not those kind of businesses. So, I, you know, I can imagine, you know, retail, like I could imagine a florist, I could imagine a hybrid coffee house, um, cafe, florist. I could imagine that as a concept 
which you could which you could use uh you could have special needs people playing a significant role in that as a business see at the moment there are so many businesses who've got a diversity committee but that diversity is entirely focused on ethnic race or gender it's not no it doesn't even touch the sides of disability nowhere to be seen do you know there are more disabled people in the world than there are people of mixed race you know we have to be clear not every single child will be able to be employed some have conditions which would make it very very difficult but there are plenty of people who are within the special needs category who could simon's podcast turning the tables can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts thank you simon for joining me today and sharing your wisdom with my audience Thank you, Carol. I've really enjoyed doing this interview. You've asked some great questions and it's made me think quite hard about special needs and how Francesca has influenced our our lives. Um, So I appreciate you asking those questions. And to all those people outside who, who have children with special needs, I hope this has been of some insight for you and help. Thank you so much for listening to Wisdom Shared. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to check out all our other episodes. Visit carolblueice.com. If you like what you are hearing on Wisdom Shared, please spread the word and share this podcast with your friends. Leave a review and subscribe so you can receive wisdom every month.